It's my privilege this morning to uh, speak from the Bible and um, continue our series in Daniel, Courageous Living. And we're up to chapter 11. And as Hermie said, it's quite a long chapter. So we read just a few excerpts from it. I've called this talk a unique history lesson. And the theme of Daniel 11 is that our God is the Lord of history. And it deals with the sovereignty of God and the assurance that God gives us that he is in control of all things. I wonder if you would like to know the future. Would you like to fast forward five years, 10 years, 50 years to see just how things work out? I know many of us would like to fast forward through this pandemic to the other side, where COVID-19 is just a memory and not a reality. Would you like to see how the world history unfolds in the next 300 to 500 years if Jesus doesn't return before then? Would you like to know all the details of the end times, the when and the how? God is so wise that he knows how much of the detail to share with us how much we can cope with. He knows just how much to tell us and how much to keep hidden. My own experience in life is that God has revealed to me the important things that I need to know and often just the next step that he wants me to take. I was reading this morning in my own devotions about Peter and how Jesus told him he would deny Jesus three times and Peter remonstrates with Jesus and says, surely not, never, not me. And then very soon afterwards, he does. Jesus knew, God knows us inside out. And Daniel 11 at first reading appears a bit confusing. It's very long and very detailed. But if we dwell with it a little bit longer and see the scope of what it entails, we will hear God speaking to us. As I said already, chapter 11 is a unique history lesson. It's a history lesson like no other. Mankind has no capacity for foretelling the future unless God reveals it. Only God knows. He knows the beginning from the end. And only God can write up history before it has happened. Normally, we write up history after the events, but in this amazing chapter 11 of Daniel, Daniel hears from God about things that are yet to be. And unlike his previous dreams and visions, which were conveyed with dramatic visual images, something Daniel saw, this message appears to be spoken, audible, something that he hears. It's a revelation to the ear, not the eye. And words are always more precise than images. Daniel 11 tells us of things yet to be. 
We know the background is that Daniel is praying and fasting. He is seeking God for all that is happening around him. We get the sense that he is troubled and brings that troubled heart to God in prayer. He is serious about seeking God. And Daniel was feeling like so many of us are feeling right now, a bit overwhelmed maybe, confused, anxious. And in those times, there's a temptation to think that history is out of control, the world is out of control. But Daniel 11 assures us through God's message to Daniel that God is in control, always has been, always will be. This history lesson like no other. Normally history lessons look back and look at dates and events. This is even unusual, even in the Bible, for distant history to be foretold so accurately. In verses 1 to 35, it covers 365 years of human history. That is incredible, in amazing detail. And in verses 1 to 35, there are 135 predictions of the future. And they all come to pass. It speaks of God's omniscience, his all-knowing nature. This history lesson looks forward to what will happen, what will take place. It begins in the reign of Darius. Now Darius, we know, didn't do a lot right. He was a playboy prince, a very weak king. But he did do two things right. He let Daniel out of the lion's den when God had shut the mouths of the lions and he realized what had really been going on. And Darius also passed the decree from King Cyrus that the Jews would be set free to return to their homes. Those things happened in Daniel's lifetime. But after Darius, God shares with Daniel that there will be three more Persian kings that arise and history tells us there were. Then God says there'll be a fourth Persian king who will gain power by wealth and he will attack Greece. And there was, and he did. His name was Xerxes. And he attacked Greece in 480 BC. Probably the biggest mistake of his life. That act of aggression against the Greeks would never be forgotten or forgiven. Verse 3, a mighty king will arise. He did. His name was Alexander the Great. As Greece became the new superpower in the region, and we've met Alexander before, he is the goat in Daniel's vision in chapter 8. And Alexander would conquer many lands. His empire would stretch from Russia in the north to Egypt in the south. And there on the northern coast of Egypt, there is a city called Alexandria, named after him there today. God says that after him, the empire will be parceled out. It was. Verse 4 tells us that it won't go to his descendants. This is true. Uh, Alexander had two sons, but both of them were assassinated. And the empire is broken up into four the north, the south, the east, and the west, under four generals. And it was. 
And then in verses 5 to 35, there is a focus on the kings of the north and the south. And there, in between the north and the south, we find the promised land, the beautiful land, as it's described in this chapter, Israel. General Ptolemy became the ruler of the south. General Seleucus became the ruler of the north. And they would both give themselves the title kings. And Daniel has this revelation from God in quite detail, the bitter history between these two dynasties, the bitter rivalries and alliances. And then in verse 16, there's this hint that a new power is emerging on the horizon. This new power will be Rome. And this power will establish itself in the beautiful land and bring destruction. And we know that the Roman Empire did bring destruction to the land of Israel. The temple was destroyed in AD 70. But before that time, the north and the south try and unite against Rome. This included several political marriages. One of them was the marriage of Cleopatra to a Ptolemy. And history continues to be foretold and the focus then narrows on one ruler who will oppose God and oppress his people and he would be a very violent king. Antiochus Epiphanes is his name. And he comes to the throne in 175 BC. He is a wicked and violent ruler, and he vents his rage and fury at being put in his place by Rome on the beautiful land, on the promised land, on God, on God's people, on God's temple. He will be revealed in history as a type of anti-God, anti-Christ. He kills the high priest. He'll massacre 40,000 Jews and sell many more into slavery. He'll desecrate the temple in Jerusalem. He will close the temple for the worship of God, of Yahweh. And he will set up a pagan god even on the altar of the temple and even sacrifice a pig, an unclean animal to the Jews on the very altar. And this barbaric act in history sparks a Jewish revolt and resistance under the Maccabees. Remembered by Jews to this day in the festival of Hanukkah. And this uprising will eventually lead to the occupation by Rome. As Rome exerts its power and authority. But it's under the occupation of Rome that the most amazing thing in human history happens. God himself comes in Jesus. Born in Bethlehem, the result of a Roman census, God is in control of all things. Antiochus Epiphanes goes down in history as the one who sets up the abomination that causes desolation referred to in Daniel chapter nine and that Jesus refers to in Matthew 24 when he talks about the end times. 
And Jesus uses that illustration and says, when you see these things repeated, we are approaching the end. Listen to these words of Jesus from Matthew 24. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you're not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There'll be famines and earthquakes in various places. These are the beginnings of birth pains. And you'll be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you'll be hated by all nations because of me. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So when you see standing in the holy place the abomination that causes desolation spoken of through the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand and let those who in Judea flee to the mountains. And then will appear a sign of the Son of Man in heaven. Then all peoples of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call and they will gather his elect, his people, from the four winds, from one end of the heavens to the other. And Jesus goes on to call upon us to be alert. He says, no one knows the date or the time of his return, only the Father in heaven, but we are to be ready at any time. But most of all, we are to be his, his people. More important than all the details is to be known as Jesus's people, those who belong to him. He is the Lord of history, the Lord of heaven and earth. So back to Daniel 11, verses 33 to 35, tells of the terrible persecution of God's people and that abomination that causes desolation that Antiochus Epiphanes set up in the temple. But it gets repeated in history. The early church suffered severe persecution. Under the Roman Empire, many, many Christians were put to death. They see, seek to wipe out the early church. Then in AD 70, the Romans completely destroy Jerusalem and its temple. And they seek to destroy the church. And we know from human history that Jerusalem has been a place of conflict and celebration for over 3,000 years. And even today, there's an Islamic shrine built over that place of the temple and the Holy of Holies. Elsewhere in the Bible, it speaks of the end times when an antichrist will come and set himself up in the place of God instead of God. That's what anti means in that context. The one who will oppose God and his people. But, in verse 32, the people of God will firmly resist. The people of God will stand. So the question about this passage is why? Why does God give Daniel this amazing prophetic history lesson? Well, God is letting Daniel know in his situation 
And through Daniel, he lets God's people know throughout the generations, and he lets us know that God is in control. He knows the beginning from the end. He works his purposes out through history. And through the ups and downs of human history, he overcomes. It's his story after all. The story of the Bible is God's calling of us to himself. And here too we see a divine mystery. When we are tempted to think that history is out of control, the world is out of control, God reveals his complete sovereignty. He knows. He is at work. And yet at the same time, he leaves room for human freedom. It's always been a mystery, that sovereignty and the freedom that he gives us. Free will for good and for bad. But somehow he works it all for good. And we're heading to that day when Jesus will come again to make all things new. He makes room in his sovereignty for us to be his co-workers, to be on mission for him. He makes room for our prayers to cry out to him for his help, his deliverance, for change, for the coming of the kingdom of heaven. So what does this amazing prophetic history lesson tell us today about God? Well, it tells us three things that we can be confident about. God knows the future, every detail. He knows you, he knows me, he sees you, he sees me, and he is for us. And he has glorious plans for us. This history will culminate in his coming again to make a new heaven and a new earth, to restore all things, to put all things right. God is in control. Whatever it looks like at any given moment, and we only see a moment, but God sees it all, and it is never out of control. And that assurance makes a difference to the way that we look upon our world. It enables us to live courageously as the people of God. We've entitled this series Courageous Living. This knowledge of God's sovereignty and his grace and his love enables us to stand firm when the whole earth shakes. When everything is moving, we are standing on the rock that cannot be moved. It enables us to live creatively as the people of God, to attempt great things for God, to be on that mission for him, that he has commissioned us to be, to be that rescue mission in the world. Whenever we share of the hope that we have in Jesus, we bring light into those situations. This enables us to live with hope as the people of God. Hope in every circumstance that it will all be right in the end. Jesus will make it so. And it also gives God's people the courage to endure suffering. Persecution has never stopped. It is more widespread now in the world than it ever was. We live in dark days for much of the church. There are principalities and powers that threaten 
Edward spoke about the, the cosmic battle that rages in a previous chapter. But the outcome is secure. How do God's people endure? Because they know God is with them. They know that God wins. He has revealed that to us. We've read the end of the story. He holds the future so that we know with assurance that he holds us. God's people will be refined. Persecution smelts and sifts. It refines and it sorts. Yes, it does. But ultimately, God's people are welcomed into his rest. And God has planned a day and he's marked it out, that day when all pain and suffering will cease and God's people will find that rest. God shows us enough of the future for us to stay strong and to stand firm to the end. So as we pray for one another in our time and in our day, we pray that each one of us will be able to look up and know that God is with us and for us and to stand firm in the storm, knowing that it is all in his hands. God bless you. Amen.